Let's find Jeremiah chapter 28, and you have the scripture reading there that we did. And not that all of the verses of the chapter are not a blessing, but just trying to economize a bit in the reading and hit the points that we absolutely need to see. I'm going to reread one of those verses. We'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll be looking at the message here for this morning. The verse I especially want to call your attention to now is verse number 16, where the Bible says this, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will cast them off from the face, thee off from the face of the earth. This year thou shalt die, because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. So let's close our eyes, we'll bow our heads, we'll have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God which has been with us through this past year. And we thank you, Father, we can look forward to its presence with us in this new and coming year. And thank you, Father, that therein we find a rock. Its foundations are strong and secure, and its words are true. And we thank you that all of those things form the foundation and basis that we need for our lives, give us the wisdom that we need uh, to discern your will and to follow you. And so we're so thankful that we have the Bible this morning. We're thankful for the comfort, direction, wisdom, guidance, and help that the Bible brought to us last year. And we look forward, Father, to staying close to you and being faithful to you by your grace in this new year so that we may have the Bible also as a continuing faithful companion to go with us in all the days of our pilgrimage. We thank you that the Bible contains so many messages, more than a man can preach in a lifetime, more than anyone can really preach. And thank you that you direct and guide, and I pray, Father, that you will use the message that you've given me for the folks here this morning, and may it be a, a help and a blessing, we pray, in Jesus' holy and wonderful name, amen. Well, you can tell by the reading from Jeremiah, and it really isn't that I have forgotten that this is not tonight. I do know that it's Sunday morning, and those of you who are here on Sunday evenings know that we have a series going on Sunday evenings, great texts uh, in the book of Jeremiah, and I'm actually co-opting one of those, but with a different message, because I wanted to do something different this morning. This is not Christmas any longer, and it's not getting back to our uh, series to finish it up. They asked him this, which in due course we will, not next Sunday. I have something also special for you on the new Sunday, the first Sunday of the new year. But this particular Sunday is kind of an interesting one. Um, it is the last Sunday of the year. As a fellow called me yesterday, and after we got ready or we got to the end of the phone conversation, got ready to hang up, and I said, well, I'll talk to you next decade. <laughs> and he thought about that for a moment. So when we come back in a new decade, I want to look at something else that, that is apropos for the first Sunday of the year. But this one, the way it falls, is kind of interesting because we're right at the end of the year. We only have two or three days, and we'll be in 2020. But yet, uh, and so we have a new year to look forward to, and we have an old year to reflect back on. And so my message this morning is 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 kind of different. It's not my typical message, but... It certainly is one that I believe uh, the Lord can use and speak to our hearts with if we will allow ourselves to be open. So this being kind of a thought sermon this morning, so a little bit more than maybe my typical expository type sermon, I want to start off with a little quiz. And uh, you don't have to have note paper or pencil, you just have to listen. And uh, you're going to listen with a view to my asking you a simple question at the end. And the question is, what do all these people have in common? That's all you have to do is figure out the answer to that question. Harold Brown, the one-time defense secretary in the Carter administration, Harris Wofford, the former United States senator from Pennsylvania, Frankie Robinson, the Hall of Famer, 
the first black manager in major, major League Baseball. Jan Michael Vincent, the television star for the series Airwolf that some people enjoyed. Birch Bayh, a former United States Senator from Indiana. Fritz Hollings, or Ernest F. Hollings, I know the name well, former United States Senator from the state of South Carolina, which is where I grew up. Richard Cole, or otherwise known as Dick Cole, the last of the so-called Doolittle Tokyo Raiders who carried out the daring United States attack on Japan during World War II. Richard Luger, former United States Senator from the state of Indiana. Warren Wearsby, one-time pastor of Moody uh, Memorial Church in Chicago and well-known as a prolific author and pastor with his beloved B series. Doris Day, the sunny blonde actress and singer with the comedian-type roles. Tim Conway, also funny, the impish second banana to Carol Burnett, who won four Emmy Awards on her TV variety show. And of course, Tim Conway, for those of us who are old enough to remember, was uh, one of the inimitable characters of McHale's Navy. Bart Starr, American Pro Football Hall of Fame quarterback. Thad Cochran, former United States Senator who's from the state of Mississippi. Gloria Vanderbilt, the fashion designer. Norman Geisler, a Christian apologist who is known for having made this statement that he did not have enough faith to be an atheist. Lee Iacocca, who basically rescued Chrysler Corporation from the grave. Cameron Boise, 20 years old, an American actor. Ross Perot, who ran twice for President of the United States on a third-party ticket. John Paul Stevens, a Republican nominee to the United States Supreme Court who ended up fooling a lot of people and ended up being sort of uh, known for his liberalism. Peter Fonda, also a Hollywood actor. Robert Mugabe, a black man who became, uh, after being a, a gorilla, really, an ex-gorilla chief, became a politician in the African country of Zimbabwe. From the state of Texas, T. Boone Pickens, the oil magnate. Phyllis Newman, also a Broadway veteran. Hopalong Cassidy, 1955 Heisman Trophy winner at Ohio State University and running back for the Detroit Lions. Jacques Chirac, that might be a name you have forgotten, but the president, a former president of France and someone who kind of uh, did what the French, French often do and was a pain when George Bush I was trying to organize the invasion of Iraq in 2003. Um, Elijah Cummings, United States Congressman from the state of Pennsylvania. From a little different walk of life, a man by the name of Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, a terrorist. John Conyers, a former United States Congressman from the state of Michigan. Juice, 21 years old, a rapper. Paul Volcker, former chairman of the Federal Reserve Board. And coming a little closer to home, Gilbert Boob and Larry Holt. What do all of these people have in common? They died in 2019. Now, when you really stop and think about this, 
Most of the time, the future remains a mystery to us. Very few people know anything about the date of their death. Once in a while, we find ourselves in a health situation that is such that the doctors seem to have some insight, and I think sometimes even people at times have some insight into what their status is and how much time they have left. But for the most part, that isn't something that God is in the habit of revealing. So it's kind of interesting when we come to a verse in Jeremiah where you find a man by the name of Hananiah, and God makes the statement to him, this year thou shalt die. But for the most part, that's something that remains hidden to each of us. However, if you did know that 2020, I'm going to give you three days. If you did know that 2020 would, would be the year in which you passed away, what would be your reaction to that? If somehow God were to give you that insight, if somehow God were to give you that knowledge, would that knowledge affect you in any way? Would it change your plans for 2020? Would it make anything different for you in this new year? And it seems to me like when we look at this chapter, we can answer that question by thinking about three different things that involve three different categories of people or three different responses that we might have to this. And that sort of forms the basis of the message that I'd like to bring you this morning. First of all, some people need to get saved. It's just that simple. There are lots of people who need to be saved. In fact, the majority of people around us need to be saved. But you know, there are many people who know something about the gospel and have been around church and have listened to the things of the Lord and been in Sunday school and for whatever reason, they just haven't surrendered and they just haven't opened their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. I think if I were in that position and knew that 2020 was going to be the year in which I left this world, I think I would want to get saved as fast as I could. This is certainly the case with Hananiah. This is kind of where the impetus of that thought comes from if you want to relate it to the chapter. It's urgent now with this man, Hananiah. He's not a saved man. In fact, he's a prophet, but a false prophet, and that much becomes abundantly clear. It's clear enough that Jeremiah has been, and, and those of you who have been in these series messages on Sunday evening know this, that Jeremiah over and over again was called on by God to bring a message of judgment to the people. And then, even though the first wave of captivity had taken place and Jeconiah had been displaced and captives had been led into the land of Babylon and there was a subservience, therefore, in the land, although the final sacking of Jerusalem hadn't taken place yet, but to King Nebuchadnezzar, because Babylon was, in, in essence, the world power at that time, even though that message had been plain, clear, from the lips of Jeremiah, you have this man who rises up, and there are some reasons for this we're not going to get in for time purposes this morning. If I brought you the other message on this, that the one from the series on Jeremiah, I would take more time. I don't want to take time for it this morning, but you have a man who rises up to basically contradict that message, so much so to the point that when Jeremiah comes to him with this message from the Lord at the end of the chapter, and he tells him, this year thou shalt die, 
at the end of the verse, you'll notice he says, because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. If we want to get a little bit more background without taking too much time for this into just how clearly this man was a false prophet and how clearly he was contradicting God's word, just go back briefly with me to chapter 27, the chapter that immediately proceeds. And let's just take a look at a few of the verses there. Verse number one says, In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, came this word unto Jeremiah the prophet. So here is going to be one of Jeremiah's messages. Thus saith the Lord to me, make thee bonds and yokes and put them upon thy neck. So he's got a message, but he's got an illustration with which he's going to deliver that message. And that is these yokes, wooden yokes that he places upon his own neck, but also, as we continue reading, and send them, other yokes, to the king of Edom, and to the king of Moab, and to the king of the Ammonites, and to the king of Tyrus, and to the king of Zidon, by the hand of the messengers which were come, which come to Jerusalem unto Zedekiah, king of Judah. So it's thought that these representatives of these other city-states or kingdoms nearby Israel had sent messengers to Jerusalem. They were gathering together perhaps for a summit of sorts to try to figure out what they were going to do about the rising threats that Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon posed. And God says to Jeremiah, I want you to take yokes and you put one on your neck and then you give one to each of these ambassadors or representatives, whatever you want to call them, so that they can take it home to their master, to the king, and tell him, what? Verse 4, and command them to say unto their masters, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, thus shall ye say unto your masters, I have made the earth and man and the beast that are upon the ground for my, by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and have given it unto whom it seemed meet or fitting unto me. And now I have given all these lands from into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. And the beasts of the field have I given also to serve him. And all nations shall, shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the very time of, this, of his land come, and many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. And it shall come to pass that the nation and kingdom which will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation I will punish, saith the Lord. With the sword and with the famine and with the pestilence will I consume them by his hand. Move over to verse 15. For I have not sent them, saith the Lord, they, yet they prophesy a lie in my name that I might drive you out and that ye might perish, ye and the prophets that prophesy unto you. And so Hananiah is one of this group of people that he's talking about when he says, verse number 10, for they prophesy a lie unto you to remove you far from your land and that I should drive you out. Why? Because they were preaching that message, peace, peace, when there is no peace. It ran contrary to what Jeremiah was entrusted by God to impart to people and what God had said. So when Hananiah comes along and makes a great display, I mean, if you paid attention to the verses that we read, and we did skip a few, but basically Hananiah kind of stands Jeremiah out, out and up. Here they are, they're in the temple, and Jeremiah is there, the priests are there, the people are there, so there's a crowd there. And he stands Jeremiah up because he says, basically, within two full years, this, this stuff that Jeremiah is telling you is nonsense. 
within two full years, I will break the yoke and says that this message is coming from the Lord. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. It's a different message, but I think that Jeremiah is a model in how you would respond to something like that. He doesn't lose his cool. The first thing he says is, amen, I hope you're right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not like he's being sarcastic or something like that. It's just I think he's trying to have, keep from having a, a problem of fisticuffs right there in the temple. We read a little bit later down, and it just says that after Hananiah continued to press this message, that Jeremiah just left, left and went his way. He didn't get it, allow himself to become drawn into an ugly situation. He did say something to Hananiah, and then God subsequently gave him a greater message to give to Hananiah, which we picked up when we read at the end of the chapter. But, you know, even in what God said to Jeremiah, even though he was an unsaved man, he was a false prophet, he was guilty of teaching rebellion against the Lord is what this tells us. And even though God dealt with that in a very stern way, yet there was mercy. Because if you look at what he says to Hananiah, this year thou shalt die. And if you want to know just how much mercy was there, we look down at the end and it says in verse number 17, so Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. Well, all of this that we've read about earlier in chapter 28 happened in the fifth month. That means that from the moment Jeremiah gave Hananiah that word from the Lord, this year thou shalt die, the clock was ticking. And he knew it was ticking. But in that God didn't strike him down dead right on that occasion, right then and there, God gave him two months. Two months to ponder what was he going to do. Remain a false prophet? remain steadfast in his rebellion against the Lord with a hardened heart? Or would he respond to the fact that he had two months to make his peace with God, two months in which to make things right, two months in, two months in which to turn from his ways of rebellion against the things of the Lord and find peace and forgiveness through God's grace? If you knew that 2020 were going to be the year in which you left this world, it would be high time if you find yourself, even though you say, Pastor, I'm not a person like that. I, I don't go around teaching rebellion against the Lord. Well, we all have our sins, right? I mean, some men's sins go before them, following unto judgment, and others they follow after. Some people's sins are well known. Some people's sins are more flagrant. But the operative truth is, is for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We don't all sin alike, but we are all alike sinners. How would you use the time? God offers a, to you, sitting in this service today, another measure of his grace and another measure of his mercy. You say, I've been around church. I, I, I know all of this. Well, has it gotten from here to here? Do you know Christ as your Savior? Let me ask you a question that's been around for years, but you can't really improve on it for its poignancy and its directness and the challenge that it brings to us. Do you know if you died today, you'd go to heaven? If you can't honestly answer that question, yes, I know. If I died today, I'd go to heaven. I didn't ask you if you were the Apostle Paul. I didn't ask you if you're a super saint. I didn't ask you if you teach Sunday school. I didn't ask you if you're an elder in the church. I said, do you know if you died today, you'd go to heaven? 
And if you can't answer that question with a yes, then talk to somebody that can help you get that settled quickly. Because as over and over again we are admonished in the Scripture, we're not to boast ourselves of tomorrow, for we do not know what a day may bring forth. Some people need to get saved. Some people, and this is the second thought or grouping, some people need to get serious. Some people are Christians. Some people think that they're fine because a moment ago when I posed that question, do you know if you died today you'd go to heaven? And they, they just immediately say yes because they can think back to a time, and, and they're sincere. I mean, they can honestly think back to a time when they've trusted Christ as personal Savior, and so they figure they're fine, so they tune you out for the rest of the message. But let me ask you a question. I mean, honest to goodness, I'm not talking about your neighbor. I'm not talking about anybody but you and me. If you knew that 2020 would be the year that you would be leaving this world, how would it affect you even as a believer? Do you need to get serious? Because there are many people who are saved and glad to be saved, and that's about where it ends. They never really have done a great deal with their Christianity. They never have really gotten serious about serving the Lord. You know, it's, I think about it this way. It's a little bit like the second coming. Because if you ask anybody who's been around Sunday school, Bible teaching, or a Bible preaching church, you ask them, do you believe in the second coming? Well, they say, of course I believe in the second coming. I, I, you know, since the earliest of times, I can remember verses where we're told that Jesus is coming again, and we sing songs, of course I believe in the second coming. We all believe in it here. But does it really have a bearing on how you live? Because, as I've said so many times, doctrine is never given us in the Bible simply. It is given for this reason. It's never given, though, simply to gain knowledge. It's given for the effect that knowledge is designed to have on our lives. And so, a verse, for example, like this, 1 John 2.28, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Well, have we lived in such a way that if Jesus were to come today, but there's a lot of folks that don't, and quite frankly, I think there are people even here this morning, just I'm not saying that because I know you that well, I'm only saying it because I know what an audience with this number of people in it is like and what it's composed of. I don't know everything, but I know some things. I've been around it a long time. And there are just some folks that are content with where they are and don't realize that every day that goes by, every day that we say, well, I've got things to do, and, and I, I know what you're saying, preacher, but I'm relatively young and I've got things to do and financial goals and family goals and professional goals and I'll get around to this sometime. How do you know? Two things may keep you from getting around to it. Number one, 2020 might be the year. Your opportunities might end. The other thing that may keep you getting from it is the more you become committed to those things and involved in those things, the easier it is to say, I don't really think so this year. It's like refusing to go forward in church when you know full well you should. There's an invitation given, and it's like some people hold on to the back of the pew in front of them so hard to keep themselves from doing what they know they should do and slipping out and coming to the front and settling in things with God and doing business with God. It's as if their, their knuckles turn white. 
it's a dangerous position to be in, truthfully. And then what's going to happen is what's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm sure you're familiar with that passage. I don't necessarily need to turn, but I do want to announce the scripture that I'm speaking about. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, you have the verse that's on my dad's tombstone. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's a good verse for a tombstone. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. But then he goes on, but let every man... So you answered that question a moment ago and said, yes, I'm saved. But he goes on, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. So other people are building on this foundation, and so are you. So there's a lot of applications that we can make from this, right? Because people around you are building on this foundation. Sunday school teachers, preachers, other people are building on this foundation. They're adding to the, the foundation of Jesus Christ that's now been laid in your life by virtue of you trusting him as your personal Savior. But so are you. You're building. What are you building with? And he tells us there are some people who are building with gold, silver, and precious stones, and there are other people who are building with wood, hay, and stubble. Did it ever occur to you? You know this scripture well. I know that. But did it ever occur to you that when you think about wood, hay, and stubble, that there's nothing inherently evil or wrong with those things? A lot of you use wood. Some of you burn it for your heat. Some of you build things out of it. There's nothing inherently wrong with wood. Hay, you feed livestock with that. Or if you're like the Egyptians, you try to make some bricks with it. Or the Israelites. These are all substances that we find in life. That It's not like he named off things that are sinful and wrong. What's the difference between them? What's the problem in the building materials? Some are permanent, some are not. Some people take all of life and fritter it away with things that are impermanent. You live in this world, so by definition, you have to deal with a certain number of things that are impermanent because the world is passing away. This is what John tells us, is it not? The world is passing away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. In virtue of the fact that we live in this world, some things are impermanent. We deal with them every day. Don't you wish your car were not in that category? But they are impermanent. They have so many miles. It's sort of like knowing when you're going to die. No one tells you how many exact miles there are in this car until it gasps its last. Or until it gasps enough that you say, now I'm gasping at the repair bills. Don't know. I asked my mechanic the other, not the other day, but back a ways. I said, Dave, so... We're getting up here with a few miles on this car. What's, what am I going to get out of this thing? Am I going to get 150? I'm like, oh, no, Pastor. He said, you keep up the maintenance like you always do. And he says, you'll get 200. But I don't know that I'm going to get 200. That's a generalization. Somebody might hit me. I might hit somebody. One of those deers that doesn't have that reflectorized tape you were talking about. There's all kinds of things that can happen that we really don't know. The problem is some things are impermanent, some things are permanent. And the question that's really before us at this point is what are we really giving, what, what are our values, what are we really spending our time on? Or at the very least, the question needs to be this. 
Am I giving adequate attention to those things that are permanent? In this world of impermanence, which is passing away, am I giving adequate attention to those things that are permanent that are going to endure? Because when the fire comes, when the judgment comes, when Jesus takes a look at our lives, all those impermanent things are gone, and the only thing that remains is the gold, silver, and precious stones. I want to think I'm going to have something there, don't you? I don't know what it'll be. I, I, I have never been one to overestimate myself. I have no clue. I know I've tried to do some good things. I don't really know what the Lord thinks about all that in the final analysis. He's the one that seeds the heart. He's the one who really knows. And I've often thought about the fact that, boy, I bet the things that are, I bet the things that I get rewarded for are things that I forgot a long time ago and never even thought when I did them. And the things that I thought were really accomplishments, well, they, they might be second tier, third tier maybe, or even not at all. Often there are people, and sometimes it's young people, who just feel indestructible at this age in life. I named you one actor who was 20 and one rapper who was 21. That's the thing, see. In that list of people, they come from all walks of life, embraced all professions. The Doolittle uh, man, the, the Raider on Japan was 103. He was the oldest name I read you in that list, but there were a number of people who were older. There were people who were younger. The terrorist I read off for you was 48. If you read obituaries, and I mean, you know, I don't, I only do it as a matter of knowing what's going on because it affects me. It's not that I have a morbid curiosity, but you find them there from all walks of life, from all ages. But sometimes when we're younger in life, we, we have this mistaken idea that we're indestructible and that we have all of this time out in front of us and before us, and you know what? You don't have any guarantee of that. It's one of that first hunting track that I wrote, the real point, that's the whole point, the real point. The real point's not so much the number of points on the deer antlers. The real point is whether or not if you don't walk out of the woods at the end of the day, you know where you're going. We had a man in the church in Huntington that was a vet, World War II vet. Every time we had any kind of a veteran's recognition or on Veterans Day, he always wore his uniform. I don't know how he got into the thing. But, you know, he was just really committed to that. And uh, so committed that he was... He was buried at Fort Indian Town Gap, and, and uh, he told his wife, you, know, you have to tell them when you're going there if you want to take advantage of the option to have your wife buried there as well. And the reason you have to tell them that is because they have to know how deep to dig the grave because they stack them. They don't give you two spots, they give you one spot. And he basically told her, make up your mind because that's where I'm going to be buried. <laughs> you know, he was, he was that way. I mean, he wasn't crusty or anything like that. He's just committed to those types of things, and he was a, really a good chap. And uh, he was retired, of course, and he was out one day, and he went out to do some work with a chainsaw. And he walked up into the house, into, I'm sorry, into the woods up behind the house, and he didn't come back. And they got worried and finally sent on him, and they found him up there. Nothing happened really to him. He didn't have a problem with the chainsaw. He didn't have an accident. 
The way I told people later is, I said, Ed walked up into the woods that day and just kept right on walking. The Lord took him. He didn't have to worry about coming back for his lunch or for his supper. He went on to be with Jesus. But we don't know, do we? James talks about people who act like they know, people who think they're indestructible, think, people who think that they can always guarantee precisely what's going to happen tomorrow. And in James chapter 4, towards the end of the book, he sort of takes issue with that type of thinking, but yet it's the very kind of thinking that grips many Christian people. James chapter 4, verse 13, he says, Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. But isn't that the common parlance of life? Isn't that exactly how we talk? I'll be there tomorrow. And I, I've always sort of tried to take the, this scripture seriously and, and without you know, being a pain with it and without uh, it being obnoxious, I'll usually try to phrase it in such a way, Lord willing, that's what it says here. Let's keep reading. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will. And he doesn't say, first of all, we'll go over there and do the business that we wanted to do. He says, if the Lord will, we shall what? Live. Don't even know what God's will is concerning that matter. If it's the Lord's will, we shall live, and then we'll have the opportunity to do this or that. But now he says, you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Beloved, that's written to me and you. If we know we need to get serious, if we know there are some things that we just haven't taken seriously and we haven't really given our hearts to God and given him an adequate representation in our lives. We've been happy to accept his salvation and then live the way we please. If you know to do good and you don't do it, that's wrong. That's sin. And quickly, there are some people who need to get set. Or I might just say get settled, but I chose the word advisedly because I want to use the example. And let's go back to the book of 2 Kings to look, pick up a verse where we're going to find the word set. It's concerning a man by the name of Hezekiah. He's one of the good kings of Judah. He's one of the revivalist kings. So he's obviously someone that we would sort of, uh, in our language, we would sort of consider him a, a dedicated believer, a dedicated Christian. But listen to the message that he gets, talking about unusual messages from the Lord. Verse number 1 of 2 Kings 20 says, In those days Hezekiah was sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. That's the final category, because there are a lot of people like Hezekiah. This church has a number of people. I'm, I know this. There's a number of people in this church, just like Hezekiah, you love the Lord. You give God a representation in your life. You take God seriously. You know you've been saved. You have a desire to serve the Lord. You read your Bible. You pray. This is what Hezekiah was like. He was a person like that. And yet, God still came to him and gave him some time. Now, you know the story. He pouted and 
went on about it, and God gave him another 15 years, and he, he may have been better to simply take the first deal because he got into some things that weren't the greatest, left a couple of, uh, they, you could recover from them, but he, he left a few little blemishes on his record that he didn't have had he gone with God's original plan. God always has the best plan. It's like Israel and Saul and David, you know. I mean, God gave them the best he had when they said, we have to have a king. But had they waited and come up with just David and could have been spared Saul, they'd have sure been better off, wouldn't they? But there's sometimes just folks in that category, and if you had the benefit of knowing that 2020 would be the year, it would still affect you because there's just a few things you might want to do. There's just a few things maybe on your bucket list that you think about from time to time and you just, for whatever reason, you haven't gotten those things done. This is the category you want to be in because for all of us, there are going to be some things like this. I mean, it could be all the way from making a will. Do you have one? Because if you don't, the state does. So if you care where it's going when you die, then that's something to think about. It might be something like that. It might be reading the Bible through. More on that next Sunday. It might be witnessing to someone that you just have been burdened about for years and been praying for. And Sometimes with people like that, there's only so much we can say. We've said, said and said, and it doesn't help to keep saying. You just have to keep praying and asking God. But other times there are people that we're really burdened for Several months ago, I had a cousin. My, it was my dad's uh, uh, relative on my father's side, uh, his sister's son. Cousin Joe, he always called him. And he's 90, how many? One, two, or three. Somewhere in there. And... We knew his birthday was coming, so I sent him a card. Well, he was as tickled as he could be that he got that card. So tickled, he called me on the phone. And we were talking, and he was talking about all kinds of things, and uh, amazing, really. And um, he said something about church and said he was in a Baptist church now, which I'm sure is an improvement, depending on the type of Baptist church, but over where maybe he had been before in the other church. And uh, hopefully he's hearing some things and has heard some things. I, I rather believe probably my dad may have witnessed to him as well. But uh, he, he, it's somewhere in the conversation he said something about the fact that he's, I'm, not, I'm not really that religious a person. And I think by that he meant that he didn't really chase out all the distinctions and issues. I didn't know totally what he meant, though, so I thought, hmm, I think the Lord wants us to talk about this a little bit more. Right about that time he said, oh, Tom, he said, there's a guy that just came. He said, I got to get off the phone. Some guy came to do yard work or something. And I said, well, good, good talking to you, Cousin Joe. And I said, I'll be in touch. Well, I thought, you know, this is the perfect opportunity. I sat down and wrote him a letter, picked a good gospel track and sent it to him. God's simple plan of salvation. I think you have some out there now in the track rack. It's always a good one to fall back to when you have somebody with a little interest and they'll take some time and I said, this is one of the best gospel tracks I've ever come across. Some people say more people have been led to Christ through that track than any other single track. I don't know how you tell that, but some people say that. And I sent him that track, and I said, Cousin Joe, we've, you know, we've bounced around these issues before. I said, you said something on the phone the other day. I said, I just want to be sure. 
told my brother about it. He said, good. Well, we don't know. I've sent him a Christmas card, and he got in touch the other day and said, wanted to know my sister's address and my brother's address so he could get in touch with them. But those are the kinds of things that need to be taken care of, right, when God gives those opportunities. There are just a few things like that. You know, I, I really always have enjoyed this particular reference, but in 1960, when John F. Kennedy was running for president, he had a story he liked to tell in his typical campaign speech. And it was a story about a man by the name of Colonel Davenport. And Davenport was the Speaker of the House, not in Washington, but in Connecticut, the State House. He was the Speaker of the House. Well, the assembly was meeting, and it was a the year was 1789. This particular day, all of a sudden, the sky in Hartford just, it grew ominously dark, weird dark. You know, maybe like one of these eclipse deals or something. It just got really odd, weird dark. And it got a number of the representatives who were in the room fidgety and, and restless and because they could look out the windows and they saw all this and weren't sure exactly what was coming. And Davenport, in order to get a hold of things, uh, basically rose and spoke to the men as follows. He said, the day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. He said, if it is not, there is no cause for adjournment. If it is, he said, I choose to be found doing my duty. Therefore, I wish that candles be brought. I sort of like that. I think that's kind of how it needs to be, right? I mean, what would you change? Would you change something major? I don't really know that I have major things I would change because I'm trying every day to figure out what it is God wants me to do and do it. But would I respond in some ways and capitalize on the fact that I knew I didn't have but so much time and maybe even tell people, you know, I only have so much time. I've got something I want to talk to you about. It's time to stop waiting and start doing on this particular point. Yeah, there's lots of folks that are like that, I think. And this is the category, as I said, you want to be in. Some folks need to get saved. Some folks need to get serious. Some folks need to get set. That is, there's just some things to settle to take care of. But it's unlikely that anyone here will really have that knowledge, not as you sit here today. You might think, you know, I'm advanced in years, so I wouldn't be surprised. But you don't know. I've discovered in the course of a lot of years of ministry that the very ones they tell you that aren't going to last three days last about three months or more. And the ones they tell you that there's no problem, you know, it, it seems like you get a lot of reminders that way in life. Whatever is out there in 2020, you don't know and neither do I. I mean, some things we think we know. I mean, we think there'll be an election. Hope so. I mean, that would mean that things are continuing on, you know, and that we didn't get nuked or whatever else. It's always good to know. Some things we think we know, but we really don't know much of what's out there in 2020. But I want to leave you a little, with a little thought about that. Going all the way back to 1525, the year 1525, there was a, a map. I'm sure you can think that it was crude by today's standards. But nevertheless, the person who drew the map was attempting to draw the coastline of North America, the American coastline and the adjacent waters. And this 
map that he drew came into the possession of the British Museum in London. Well, anyway, he made some rather intriguing notes because he noted what they did know, like what we think of as America, you know, and other things that they really did know. But there were other places they didn't know anything about. No explorer, no one had really gone there to their knowledge. And so the little notations that he wrote were things like this. Here be giants. Here be fiery scorpions. Here be dragons. Sounds ominous, doesn't it? Well, eventually the map changed hands and came into the possession of a man by the name of Sir John Franklin. He was a British explorer. And in the early 1800s, as he began to evaluate what he found with that map, he scratched out those other inscriptions and in their place wrote this, here is God. And that's what I can tell you about 2020. I can't tell you where there's any dragons. I can't tell you where there's any giants or scorpions. I know God is there. We need to be trusting in him and looking to them. And if the Lord has impressed some particular direction or thought upon your heart as a result of the message today, just remember, I didn't come here this morning and tell you this year thou shalt die. No one knows that. But if it were, what category would you be in? Need to get saved? Need to get serious? Or just some things to settle? Oh God in heaven, thank you that we can find ourselves positioned 